Hi, everybody. My name is Greg Katz, and welcome to Tuesday's edition of WeRSC.com's Inside the Trojans Huddle, where we do tell it like it is. Friends, Inside the Trojans Huddle is a game-like panel discussion posted each Tuesday during the season. The huddle features WeRSC columnists, staff writers, and historians. We start off first with the pregame show, where we introduce our panel members for this edition of Inside the Trojans Huddle. Now let's meet the panelists. A, we RSC columnist who writes WeRSC.com's Monday Morass, yay or nay, and Sunday takeaways. In addition to regular season football and basketball reports, he also hosts his own podcast show entitled Locked On USC, Mark Culkin. The editor-in-chief of WeRSC.com, columnist, national recruiting guru, producer, and moderator of WeRSC's Four Downs and Five Things video shows, and a graduate of USC, Eric McKinney. A former William Jewell College defensive back and WeRSC columnist who writes the popular column WeRSC.com's Musings with Arledge and Musings with Arledge solo video edition, a graduate of the USC Law School, Chris Arledge. And a weekly WeRSC columnist who writes Fridays the Obvious, Not So Obvious, IMHO Sunday, the USC.com travel guide, and an active member of Football Writers Association of America, your moderator and producer of Inside the Trojan Settle, Greg Katz. Folks, if you enjoy WeRSC.com's Inside the Trojan Settle, we thank you and strongly encourage those of you watching on sites like YouTube to click on the like and rev subscriber buttons. Greatly valued, appreciated, and it is free. You can also listen to Inside the Trojan Settle on most available podcast sites. And friends, WeRSC.com is offering subscribers unlimited premium access for just $1 for a month and $74.99 for a full one-year premium subscription. You won't want to miss USC football's website that really does tell it like it is for USC and college football fans. All right, let's kick this thing off. Panel, by taking a look at uh, number six, USC's destruction of the Nevada Wolfpack 66-14 in front of an announced Coliseum attendance of 62,916 fans. First off, let's get your assessment of the Trojans' offense against Nevada and who stood out for you. Lead-off hitter, Mark Culkin. Yeah, so I guess besides Caleb Williams and Deuce Robinson and that one-handed catch by Dorian Singer in front of Lincoln Riley, the offense stood out. I mean, they put up, what, over 600 yards and eight touchdowns and one field goal. So besides all that, I, what really, really, really stood out to me was the running game. And USC did not even have to pass the ball once if they wanted to. You you look at those rushing numbers and just amazing. Um, I mean, Marshawn Lloyd had only seven touches and seventy six yards, but he had a he had a block downfield on on Taj Washington's uh, touchdown pass that just. It's like, where did he come from? It looked like he sprinted 30 yards just to get in front of the guy. A lot of impressive things to watch on with offense. You know, the efficiency of their scoring drives, four plays, four plays, three plays, four plays. I, I think that's going to get it done pretty much every week, despite the level of competition they were going up against. As far as the offensive line, nothing really stood out other than, you know, I Justin Dietrich had a poor first half. Um, but again, not worried about the offensive line. We saw, I think we have a pretty good idea of who the starters are going to be. So 
that that, that was my biggest takeaway. You started to see things kind of being narrowed down, shuffled into in what we can anticipate uh, going forward. A solid overall overall offensive performance. There's not a lot to complain about, although you know Lincoln Riley tried to tried to find something to blame on Caleb Williams, but uh, it, even that turned into a positive play. So good stuff with the offense. That's that's for sure. Eric McKinney. I, I think it's the way, I mean, first of all, everything has to be taken with that's the that's the worst team that USC plays this year. What they did offensively is how they should just kind of roll out of bed and, and perform against uh, a team like that. But what stood out to me was the, the way that USC's offensive attack kind of went at Nevada. You, you had sort of all the way across the board in terms of the roster and the field. You had running plays inside, running plays outside, quarterback runs. You had short throws to the outside. You had plays where you could suck the defense up and then hit them over the top. Um, and then on top of that, the the combination of power and long speed. I don't – the two true freshmen, Quentin Joyner getting out on that run and, and Deuce Robinson finishing – that runoff, you have more veteran guys at each of those two spots ahead of them. Those aren't going to be your top running back and your, and your top receiver. But that kind of speed at those spots isn't something that we've seen a ton of. I don't I don't know if you have to go all the way back to Ronald Jones uh, at, at running back to find that. And, and Kyle McDonald talked a lot last season and this offseason about we need to find more explosive plays out of the running backs in the running game. We need to make people miss. We need to make, we need to, to carry the ball a long way to, to help out the offense. And Quentin Joyner now has the, the longest touchdown run of the Lincoln Riley era with his, with his 47 yarder. So I think that is the way it is, right? Like they, they showed offensively because all of these first games is just, putting little breadcrumbs out for those final six teams. You have to now study this. You have to be, be prepared for this. The Mario Williams backward pass, Mario Williams lined up as a tight end and on one play. There's so many things in there where it's like that that's coming down the road. And so to be able to show that you can do, I mean, pretty much anything you want offensively in this one, I, I think that's what you take away from it. Well, welcome back to Chris Arledge from England. Chris, hey, I, was, I was here the whole time. I'm fine. I'm jet lagged. I'm a little bit tired, but uh, it didn't stop me from showing up, no matter how late that was. What, it was what time better than the games. Just, just for interest sake, what, what time did the game actually come on in uh, England? The the um, the opener, San Jose State, I can't remember what time it started. I think it started at 1 a.m., and I finally got to sleep at 4.30 a.m., um, which would have been easier if it were a better game. It's hard to it's hard to power through when it's uh, when it's a blowout. But in any event, um, that's why I get paid the big bucks here, Greg. So big bucks, no doubt about it. Look, um, USC's offense obviously can do anything they want against uh, against a team like Nevada. But the good news is that they did whatever they wanted against a team like Nevada. I mean. And, and let's not pretend that in years past, when USC played weak opponents in the preseason, that it was always a walk in the park because there were a whole bunch of games that were settled the fourth quarter against teams that had no business playing with USC. So USC looked like a top five team playing against the bottom feeder. That's what they look like. That's good. Uh, I, I agree with um, 
I agree with uh, with Eric in terms of uh, of what they're what they're putting on film and and the and the young players. We'll talk more about the young players later, but um, all that's true. But what actually is is remarkable to me is how much Lincoln Riley is still holding back. How many design plays have you seen for Zachariah Branch? Do you think Notre Dame is going to see some, right? Whether it's a tunnel screen or a reverse or something, right? Because this is a guy who every time he touches the ball is a threat to score. And right now, USC is just playing their offense because almost everybody on the field is a threat to score. But, but you know, th there's a lot that he's holding back. Uh, it was a good performance. USC is going to score against almost every defense they play unless they get behind the sticks. And they do sometimes. And when they do, it's usually because either they try something silly, like the uh, the backwards pass to Mario Williams, which got him a, a second 14. It was fine. It doesn't matter. They could do whatever they want in the game. You might as well play around with some stuff. Um, or more likely because Caleb Williams either is a little bit reckless with a pass rush and takes a sack, or he he tries for the big play instead of instead of getting the easy six, right? Six yards. He, he goes for the six points. But I've made my peace with that because when you watch what he does out there, you say, man, sometimes he holds the ball too long and he gets sacked. Yeah. And most of the time he holds the ball too long and he gets a 40-yard touchdown out of it. It's crazy how his rate of success when he's doing things that you're not supposed to do, you know, like circling around, turning his back to the line of scrimmage and just running around in circles. You think you're not supposed to teach somebody that. No. But he does it, and every once in a while he'll get sacked. But nine times out of ten, it pays off. It's insane. So, look, I'm not going to complain about that. He's going to give away some drives because he does some unconventional stuff. He's also going to make plays that nobody else in the world can make. And, and those happen a lot more than the bad things. So when USC gets stopped, that's usually why it happens. And that's all right. I mean, if they're going to score touchdowns on 80% of their possessions and – Every once in a while, Caleb Williams is going to do something a little bit silly because he's so great. He thinks he can make it work. That's okay. This offense isn't going to struggle. They, look, they may have a game or two, but they don't play very well, right? I mean, you had the Oregon State game last year. Uh, and if that happens, it's probably going to be a road game. And, and it's probably going to be a game where Caleb is just off and they get a little bit of pressure on him with some unconventional stunts or something, right? That may happen. But the truth is there's nobody in the country looking at this offense saying, yeah, I think we match up pretty good with those guys. Nobody says that. Georgia doesn't look at this film and say, I feel pretty good about that. Their number eight wide receiver is a five-star, six-six guy with arms longer than most NBA small forwards who can run like the wind. I feel really good about shutting these guys down. Nobody says that. That's an unbelievable collection of talent. Unbelievable. It just is. And when you have an unbelievable collection of talent led by the best offensive coach in college football, and at the most important position, you have the best college quarterback in a very, very long time. They're going to do what they want just about every week. Well, I, I will say this. Uh, first of all, I hope all of our viewers and listeners had a wonderful Labor Day weekend. Um, I, uh, I really enjoyed watching the uh, second group third group so that I could see what a lot of guys, how they played. I loved seeing Makai Lemon out there. Uh, obviously Deuce Robinson made a big impression uh, when he was able to actually, uh, you know, turn on the gas and, and head up field. That was, that was kind of exciting. Uh, you know, I liked looking at uh, 
you know, Elijah you know, Hughes, again, I thought for the time he was in there was pretty good. You know, I thought it was a feel-good game uh, that gave me a lot of insight to how good Joyner is when he get when he gets the ball and, and gets – but I am a little concerned uh, about the injury to uh, – to Gino Quinones, I think that he was really pushing for the starting job. Uh, that's not to take anything away from uh, some of the other competitors along the line playing the guard position, you know, Lanny Noah. But uh, it, it didn't look good. And here we got the conference game coming up. Uh, you know, it's great that Lanny Noah probably, I, I would suspect, is going to start at, at guard. Uh, he's gotten uh, plenty of uh, reps, shall we say. So he's not being thrown, you know, into the water in a conference game. But all in all, it's you know, it it, it was uh, nice to, to. The final score was never in doubt, but it was good offensively to see, you know, what they could do with players that you haven't really had a chance to see. So with that in mind, let's flip the script here and get your assessment of the Trojans' defense on Saturday afternoon. Who stood out for you, Mark? It was a much better performance than game one. So we were looking for that uh, that jump. And they, they showed it. I, I think they were a little bit more simplistic. They didn't they didn't do as many um I don't know exotic stuff that, that people that at least I was complaining about after game one. Uh you know, you, you take away those two long pass plays that, that led to their scores and look, you're not gonna play a perfect game, but they played a pretty good game defensively. You're down essentially three linebackers the entire game. You, you know, you're without Cobb and Gentry at the start. And then Venteca Curtis got, you know, took himself out with that targeting hit, which, look, it was a legitimate call, but um, you, you can't afford to be losing too many players at a position where you're glad to have the depth now, but one more, and I, I think they would have been in trouble. In fact, when you look at the, the snap count numbers, thank you, Eric, for putting those out there. You know, Rajon was 60 snaps at linebacker and Shane Lee, 55. After that, the next two guys, you had Tacker Curtis, 16, and, and Chris Thompson, Jr., 13. So that's a lot of snaps to play at linebacker, regardless of who the competition is. Uh, but I really like what I saw when those guys were together out there. Uh, the D-line, look, Last year, we had issues at the rush-in position and at D-line without Tuli Tuiapolotu. Uh, Barry Alexander made up for whatever, you know, mistake he made in game one. He was a force. And you've got Jamil Muhammad now getting back there, making sacks. You've got Braylon Shelby, who probably, you know, contributed to the signature play of the game that everybody's going to remember on the defense when, you know, Stanley Taufo had the uh, – I don't know what he called a fumble or pick six, but Braylon Shelby forced the fumble. And all of a sudden now you're, you know, you've got the defense contributing and creating turnovers and scoring what the offense was, what they're doing. So uh, again, we take it with a grain of salt, who, who they were playing, but man, the defense made that next step. You know, they, they took a lot of heat for their performance in game one they cut their scoring in half from 28 down to 14. Again, you understand who they're playing, but you just hope that they're going to continue to build off of getting better week to week, and we'll see what they look like against Stanford. Um, the tackling, you know, all the way is already better than it was last year. You can see the size, the depth, everything that they were missing last year 
they're able to take advantage of this year so far in the first two games. So if they're not creating turnovers, they're they're covering up those other deficiencies with being a more technically sound, fun, fundamentally better defense in game two. Eric McKinney. The defense is better than last year. Uh, up front, there's more guys. They're they're stronger. They're better. Everything that you talk about in the offseason, right? We're, we're bigger, faster, stronger, all of that kind of stuff. That's true of, of the defensive line. You still are waiting, right? They have to do it against Notre Dame. They have to do it against somebody like that. So so you know that it's better than last year. Do you know if it's good enough yet for this year? I, I don't think you do. But again, like on offense, they, they played the way they needed to play against Nevada. Bear Alexander is throwing his guy around like like it was a JV uh, high schooler there. When he goes against guys like that, that's what you need to see. And so much of the time last year, you saw guys just kind of run into someone and then stand there and then not do anything. Forcing them back into the quarterback, doing all that kind of stuff up front is what this group needs to do. And, and it's what they've done through a couple games. So much better up there compared to last year. And, and you needed to see that in these games. Again, you can't win the national championship right now, but you've got to start to take steps. So I, I think everyone certainly involved in, in the program feels much better about that up front and their ability to do some of that. It was better against the run. I think you saw, I mean, gone back and, th- and looked a few times, but certainly seemed like fewer of those late shifts and opening up holes to where you sat there before the play going, the ball's going to go right there. Uh, and and so again, Nevada did, could could not run the ball. They had two runs of more than ten yards. One was a quarterback scramble, and one was on a third and seventy or whatever that was. So keeping that contained was good. The two deep balls are a problem. I mean, I, I know Lincoln Riley's not trying to say, oh, those don't count, they don't matter. He was a little dismissive of them, saying they basically hit on two plays all game, and when they're running. When a team runs that many plays, if two of them work, you're going to be okay defensively. They can't go for 70 yards. I don't think that Damani Jackson was in terrible position or played that ball horribly. It it looks bad, though, when it's that early and, and that happens. The second one is, is in the fourth quarter. You've got subs in. That's a, a tough – that is, again, a tough situation to put one of your safeties in trying to run stride for stride down the field with maybe their their best or, or fastest wide receiver. So that's, again, something that pops up to where if you're not making a play on the quarterback, you're getting hit with something downfield. Again, fourth quarter with the game out of reach, it's not something that's going to be, you know, catastrophic or anything like that. But it pops up. It pops up. And, and it's popped up a few times now passing or running uh, those big plays until they can figure them out and, and get rid of them. And, and ultimately, when Alex Grinch was hired, the first thing we all talked about, there's, you're, they're going to give up some big plays. Every team that has gone against that defense, you can, you can pop one every once in a while. And so it's going to take some extraordinary singular one-on-one efforts to Monty Jackson going up and, and getting that ball or knocking it down. We saw him take a, a couple deep shots and guys were in the right spot, right? Sierra Wright made a couple. Jacoby Covington had one where, where Caleb Bullock could come over and, and knock it away. So ultimately that's it. They're better. They're better than they were last year. And we know that through two games, can they hold up against far, 
far better offenses that they're going to see enough. Can they hold up enough against those that that's still, we're going to be talking about the same thing next week, right? Still, still not going to know, still not going to know. And, and we'll keep going, but I will say being more solid tackling, being more solid up front without any, any huge gaps or mistakes seemingly up there. That's a step forward. Week one to week two. Chris. Yeah, so Eric's Eric's analysis is fundamentally sound, it seems to me. They are better. Uh, they have more guys that are difficult to block. Last year, they had one that was difficult to block, right? I mean, just one. And now they have a whole series of guys up front that can make plays, including uh, including uh, uh, some edge rushers. I mean, Jalil Muhammad has looked pretty good, I, I think. Braylon Shelby is going to be a superstar, which, by the way, one of the things about this defense is that if you were going to list the the 10 or 15 most talented guys on this group, a lot of them haven't played a ton of football, including Bear Alexander, including Damani Jackson, certainly including Tackett Curtis. Um, I mean, you have a lot of Anthony Lucas, uh, Jamil uh, Muhammad hasn't, right? He's, he's, played, he's played some, but he came in as a quarterback. So a lot of these guys haven't played a lot of football. I would expect you would see continued growth during the course of this year. Uh, and so if you have guys who have the physical ability to, to be really good players and they're developing it over the course of the year, I think the defense is going to be all right. There are two things. Uh, one thing that jumps out at me, and I'm going to talk about the two long pass plays. Um, USC's recruiting class is so much better than people thought it was when they were doing the rankings, right? That's not the number nine or 10 class in the country. There's no way it's a number nine or 10 class in the country. You already have a couple of offensive linemen who could, who could, who could start a game tomorrow and you'd feel okay about it. it wouldn't, you don't want it, but you feel okay about it. You've got two, uh, two defensive linemen who nobody thought much of, I guess, because nobody watched the film. I watched the film and jumped off the screen as future superstars. And guess what? They're going to be, right? Hughes and Green are going to be future superstars. Braylon Shelby, he may be a future superstar like week eight. Um, Tackett Curtis, Tackett Curtis doesn't really know what he's doing right now. He hasn't played, not only has he not played a lot of college football, he hasn't played a lot of linebacker. They lined him up at 10, 12 yards deep in high school and just and just unleashed a missile on people and he'd come in and just blow things up. Now he has to learn to play football. Um, he's going to be extraordinary. It, and that's not even dealing with Look, everybody knew that that Deuce Robinson and Zachariah Branch were going to be great, right? Everybody knew that. But, you know, you have a lot of USC fans saying, well, why, you know, why are they why are they going all the way to Texas? There are so many good backs on the West Coast. Maybe, maybe. But it looks like Kyle McDonald knows what he's doing. I mean, the, the, the freshman backs look like they're like they're going to be incredible. That's a great recruiting class. And one thing USC fans should take from that is that these coaches actually can identify talent. And uh, at least they did. They did that year. That was that 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 freshman class is I'm not saying it's going to be the 2003 class because that's silly. But it wouldn't surprise me if it's uh, if it's a sort of class that you look back on four years from now and say, yeah, those guys brought USC back. It was that class on the two long passes. The first one. Dumani actually played it well and just made a silly, inexperienced mistake at the end. They're, they're, in, they're in bump and run coverage. He gets his hands on the receiver. He turns and runs with him. He's in great position. 
he should have got his head around earlier because he was in such good position. He could afford to get his head around. If you're beat by a few yards, you can't afford to do that because if you turn around, it's going to just further the gap between you and the, and the, and the receiver. It's why you never see guys in the Olympics and the hundred meters running with their head back. You don't run as fast that way, but Damani Jackson one was in great position and he's so fast. He should have just turned his head around earlier and he would have picked the ball off. Second, if you don't turn your head around earlier, you can't turn it around at the end. Then when the guy lifts up his hands, you bring your hand in the middle, you bat away at the ball. It's not as good, but it's still better. What he did is at the last second, he realized the ball was close and he tried to look over his shoulder. And it, it, was, it was a technique mistake. It's correctable. This is a kid with uh, unbelievable talent who, uh, who made a rookie mistake. That I'm not worried about. The second one is on Grinch. I understand that when you're up big, you can play whatever defense you want. You can experiment and all that. But this is now the second time in three games where he's chosen against, against a, a spread look to run a cover zero and not bring everybody. Meaning you don't have, you don't have deep safety help. Every one of your guys has to cover their guys, and they don't have anybody behind them if they screw up. Okay, that's number one. Number two, if you're going to do that, you've got to get quick pressure, which means usually you bring the other six guys because they're only going to have five blockers. You're going to have a guy who's unblocked. He didn't do that either, just like he didn't against Tulane in the fourth quarter. I don't know what he's doing. He must have a plan. He knows more football than I do, but I look at that and say, that doesn't make any sense. Because now you're putting a backup safety in a position where he has to run off-man coverage against a slot receiver. That is a really, really tough assignment for just about any safety. Maybe not Kalen Bullock, but just about any other safety on the team is going to struggle with that, especially because you can't match him up against the guy you want. You're not going to be able to do that. He's going to get matched up against the guy who, who lines up where he lines up. And so Alex Grinch put him in a position where he had an extraordinarily difficult assignment, which he couldn't perform. I wish he'd stop doing that. There was no reason to do it. Just play it straight. I mean, really, just play it straight. They can't block USC's guys. They can't block them. So that was just stupid. And Alex Grinch needs to have less stupid calls. Now, the reality is the defense The defense looked much better. You have to grade it on a curve. That's a terrible offense, an unbelievably bad, embarrassing offense, and they're going to be bad against a lot of people. But as Eric pointed out, USC had a lot of games last year, including Rice, where they're playing against bad offenses. Those bad offenses are getting, you know, 12, 13, 14, 15 plays of, of 10, 15, 20 yards. And you think, this shouldn't happen. And it's not happening. Uh, 57% of, um, of Nevada's plays went for two yards or less. 66% of their plays went for three yards or less. USC was very consistently stuffing them for no yards, one yard, two yards, or a loss. It was happening over and over again. So you got to clean up the you clean up the penalties a little bit. Uh, you you don't put your defensive backs in very difficult situations when you don't have to. And I think this group's going to be okay, especially with that offense on the other side. Well, I'll tell you, I uh, I was looking at uh, the ability to contain the quarterback. Now, first of all, the difference between San Jose State's quarterback and Nevada's 
it was quite significant as far as threats of getting outside the pocket. But that said, uh, I really concentrated on containment. Were they were they in a position to contain? I thought Jamil uh, Mohammed. I'm sorry, I have to go back in time for those of you that hate when I do this, but he kind of reminded me of uh, former All American Jimmy Gunn from many many decades ago. Uh, the way he his backside pursuit, uh, his hustle, uh, stripping the ball, uh, that type of stuff. I I was really impressed. I thought Bird had a pretty decent game too they obviously worked on some stuff uh discipline and that was where i was concentrating on uh you know what i i'm not undersold or oversold on what i'm seeing defensively i know that the like eric pointed out the challenges are yet to come we found out that colorado is going to be a challenge uh at at some level we're not quite sure yet but they certainly have a quarterback that can move around, knows what he's doing in uh, Deion's son. Uh, overall, I thought it was a good step. How big a step? I don't know because, as the rest of the panel said, you know, <laughs> Nevada is not going to be uh, going into the, uh, you know, college football playoffs. But it was a step, and I was I was satisfied with it. little concern on the first drive. I said, oh, my goodness, are you going to give up? How you just scored, you're going to give up 80 yards like that. But they adjusted. They got better. So let's uh, let's complete the first quarter panel with your assessment of the Trojan special teams. Anybody in particular stand out for you, Mark? They didn't need their special teams uh, against Nevada. So not a whole lot really stood out. I mean, I, I, their kickoffs are coming up short. I, I think I anticipated um, Eddie to have a bigger a bigger leg with his kickoffs. It definitely doesn't match his punting leg. So I don't know if it's by design or if that's just, it is what it is. But, you know, they special teams wasn't necessary against Nevada. You know, Dennis made all eight of his uh, extra points. He kicked the 37-yard field goal. We're starting to see that, you know, you have an option against USC's punt and kick return teams. You just, you don't kick it to them. Yeah, um, you know, Zachariah Branch, he had to kind of anticipate where the ball was going to land short and, you know, make a decision on the punt returns. There might have been one that he could have picked up off the bounce, but I think other teams are going to start figuring out that, you know, we're not going to be able to stop USC offensively. Let's take away one opportunity, you know, however many opportunities they're going to be forced to kick the ball during the game and just make USC have to earn it from that point. I don't anticipate. There's going to, they're going to make mistakes, and every now and then, you know, someone's going to kick the ball right into Zachariah's hands, and they're going to pay the price. But right now, you're not going to take anything away from from USC special teams playing this game. There, there was just nothing there. They didn't have to really do anything. Uh, there was a couple of punts, but nothing happened. Eric, yeah, that, that's what you want from USC special teams. Just just don't lose it, right? Don't make huge mistakes. If you can break even, you're fine. And, and they came out on top. Chris Thompson Jr. had a, had a really nice hit on a on kickoff coverage, uh, made the field goal that they had. They watched Nevada try two field goals that seemed like they were from about 80 yards away, the way the guy hit them. Uh, didn't mess up on, on punts, and Zachariah Branch gives you whatever. We did find out that he's not going to return a kick for a touchdown in every game that he plays in, which that's not the way I would have bet after, after the first game. So 
that that was a learning experience, I think, for all of us. But ultimately, this is it, right? He's going to give you a, a chunk of yards if he can get the ball in his hand on a punt. I mean, he he returned his one punt for 12 yards, which feels like nothing until you realize that 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 was not a common occurrence the last few years for USC. So anything he gives you there uh, is a positive. You get a little bit worried, I think, with him returning kicks after he has that much success in his on his first one. Does he start to dance? Does he start to give up yards when it comes to that going forward? I don't think he did. He he didn't really have the same crease or anything like that, but you're not seeing him run back and forth inside the five-yard line or, or anything like that. So, no, ultimately, special teams, great. Keep if if you just come out of every game even on special teams, if you're USC, I think I think that's fine for the year. Chris, you heard it here first. Eric McKinney is worried about Zachariah Branch's kick returns because he had success in the first game. Uh, I I on the other hand am not worried about it. I think he's going to be okay. I feel pretty good about the kid. Um, what you look, you started to see what you're going to see a lot, and that is teams are going to try to kick the ball away from him. Now, sometimes when you try to kick the ball away from him, you're accidentally going to kick it to him, and, and you may pay a price for that. Sometimes when you try to kick it away from him, you're going to shank it. And USC is going to get – they're going to get a lot of hidden yards in on the special teams game because, because teams know that they can't, they can't punt it to branch. It's too big a risk. So you're going to have a lot of 27-yard punts by the opposition this year. And that's okay. I mean, it's a little bit disappointing that it's going to cost Caleb Williams 13 yards uh, as opposed to a 40-yard kick. But, uh, yeah, we had the big kick on – the big hit on the kickoff. Uh, The truth is San Jose State and Nevada don't have the athletes to challenge USC in the special teams. Um, I think Colorado might. We'll see whether Colorado's return game looks different. And and some of the the late-season opponents will. But – it was fine. They didn't screw it up. And when you're that dominant offensively and your defense is playing pretty well, then not screwing it up will work. Well, I'll tell you, I, uh, what I really appreciated about Branch was his decision-making. I'm sure he wanted to take it back to the house every time he had the opportunity, but he didn't do anything stupid. Didn't think like a freshman said, you know what? I'm going to play the game at a high level uh, and know the game. And to me, that's what stood out to me. Uh, I thought it was great that Dennis Lynch got at least a field goal off uh, in a game. Obviously, uh, the games in the future will be pressurized. But, you know, it's, you, you got to start somewhere. I'm glad he got a field goal attempt in and he converted it. Uh, you know, I, I was glad to see some punting just uh, because SC's not going to score every time they get the ball on offense. And I think it's important that they get a chance uh, with the punting team to uh, check how they are in their lanes and so on and so forth. And I think, as uh, we all agree, uh, you don't want the special teams to hurt you in any shape or form. So quick with question, that. Quick question, because Eric and I were asking the question in the press box why they weren't putting Zachariah Branch under the goalpost waiting for those short field goals. Would you, Chris and Greg, would you have put Zach back there to, to field those uh, those long 54-yard field goal attempts? Anytime, anytime there is any possibility at all that Zach Branch can run with the football, I do it. If, if you, why did they not think about it? Probably because they don't have a special teams coach that can sit around thinking about those things. They we don't, need, think about we, don't it. Need spe- we don't need special teams in this program. Don't worry about it. 
That's two. No, actually, I tell you, I think Mark brings up a really good point. Just the fact, it's like putting a, a, a big hitter on the on-deck circle. If you put Branch out, let's say, in the end zone in front of a field goal attempt, let's say, and it's going to be short, everybody in the world is going to notice number one being out there, right? The kicker is going to kick the ball. The people on special teams, they're basically saying, you better hit that ball, and he's either going to go through the uprights or it's not, but it's going to definitely go out, you know, do the back line that he doesn't get his hands on it. But it's, it is an interesting strategy and it, it would be, it would be something to, to behold because I think in the course of a season, he would get a, maybe a couple of returns on, on field goal attempts. So kind of cool. Remember Auburn, I remember Auburn beating Alabama. With exactly. I was, I was just going to say that you're absolutely correct. Hey, Trojan fans, have you ever been caught in a last-minute event ticket frenzy? I know I have. The stress and uncertainty, it's a ride you don't need. But guess what? There's a game-changing solution, and it's called Game Time. Now imagine this, effortless ticket buying for all your favorite sports, music, comedy, theater events, more, no more frantic searches. Game Time is your ultimate ticket buddy. Boy, that sounds good to me. What about perks? How about an incredible deals on last-minute tickets and a rock-solid best price guarantee? Say goodbye to ticket anxiety and hello to the sheer joy of being in the moment. Fire up the Game Time app, and trust me, the lineup is unreal. Sports, concerts, plays, you name it, Game Time's got your back. And listen to this. Tickets to this week's USC game against Stanford and the Coliseum are available for as low as $29. Yep. $29 to see the conference opener. Besides the Trojans, Game Time also has Dodgers, Angels, Rams, Chargers, and tickets to all your favorite Los Angeles teams, flash deals, easy access, seat view images, unbeatable price guarantee, even protection. Game Time has it all. Game Time is the ultimate destination for last-minute ticket deals. Score tickets right up to the event day from football clashes to concerts that rock. They've got it all. Now, here's the deal. Head to GameTime.co. That's GameTime.co. That's co, not .com. And download the app. Create an account. Use code TROJANS for $20 off your first purchase. Ready to dive in? Buying tickets? Easy. Easy as tapping on your phone. Tickets are sent straight to your phone. Again, download the GameTime app. Create an account. Use code TROJANS for $20 off. Terms apply. Create an account and redeem code TROJANS for $20 off your first purchase. Download Game Time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. All right, let's let's move on to the second quarter of the huddle panel. <laughs> Excuse me. This Saturday night at 7:30 p.m. in the Coliseum, the undefeated number 6 Trojans 2-0 will open Pac-12 conference play by hosting the 1-0 Stanford Cardinal with a new head coach, uh Troy Taylor. This is a important game, of course, conference game. Trojans opened a 29-point favorite to defeat the Cardinal. Last season, the Trojans defeated Stanford 41-28 in Palo Alto, and Stanford went on to finish this 20, 2022 season at 3-9, which caught the departure of head coach David Shaw. Offensively, Stanford is led by sophomore Ashton quarterback Ashton Daniels, who passed for 249 yards and two touchdowns as the Cardinals opened its season. Uh, last week with a 37-21 win over Hawaii. That was on a Friday night. Stanford is also led by senior running back E.J. Smith, son of Pro Football Hall of Famer 
running back Emmett Smith and senior All Pack Twelve tight end Benjamin Yorsik. Defensively, the Cardinal are led by sensational sophomore linebacker David Bailey. Certainly, we know about David Bailey. He was recruited hard by the Trojans. And returning defensive lineman starters junior Anthony Franklin and senior Tobin Phillips. Stanford has a major special teams weapon and senior all pack 12 place kicker Joshua Cardi. So we've kind of set the table a little bit about Stanford, but we turn to the panel now to get uh, some big time thoughts on this. So panel, what will you be looking for offensively by the Trojans against Stanford? We'll start off with Chris. Uh Two things. One is I would like to see the rushing dominance continue. We know that USC can throw the ball against anybody. Uh, when you have Caleb Williams and, the, and that group of receivers, that's a given. They're going to be able to throw the ball. Um, but I would like to see, and I, you know, I don't know that they're going to average 11 yards per carry on the ground against Stanford, but I kind of like to see that. I mean, because if USC can run the ball that consistently, they're impossible to stop. So I want to see that. The second thing is I think this is the first big test for the tackles. Um, you know, David Bailey can David Bailey can get after the quarterback. I think he had maybe four sacks last week. Now, Hawaii's terrible. And so, again, you have to put that in context, too. But, but that kid can play. And so USC has two new starters at the tackle positions, and we're going to get a chance to see what they're made of this week against him. So I'd like to see I'd like to see them control him so that Caleb Williams doesn't have to uh, have to be trying to make him miss to get throws off. If they do those two things, I think we'll feel pretty good about it. Mark, yeah, look, it, I anticipate USC doubling the amount of points that Hawaii's offense was able to put up on Stanford. So let's just start there. And if you're putting up 42 points, you're probably going to win. Um, and as Chris mentioned, USC's offense, I've talked about it, Eric's talked about it, you've talked about it. The offense is not going to be USC's issue. Chris raised the point about, you know, can they stop David Bailey um, with, the, with, you know, with the offensive tackles? Because they're going to move him around. They're going to test both sides of the ball, both sides of the line. If you pass that test, the running game, I think, is going to be just fine. There's just – last year, USC was going through their culture change. New coaching staff. Um, you know, changing philosophy, yada, yada, yada. Well, Stanford's going through that this year. And I don't know if, well, I, I do know. They are not at USC's level yet. I don't even know if they are at USC's level from last year. They're not going to win 11 games. Their goal is to win, you know, six games this year, if not more. But I anticipate USC's offense before they hit the road, because they're going to a bye week and they're going to have two straight road games. Uh, this is where... The offensive line is buttoned down. You know who your starters are. The backups know their roles. I, I think the at the running game, you just continue to do what you're doing. And you you go into the bye week saying, all right, now's when the, the season gets really serious. Stanford is not – they shouldn't pose a threat. And if if we have to game plan against their super-duper, you know, place kicker, um, I don't know, maybe they have a chance. But I, this isn't going to be one of those – What's your deal type of games? I, I look. I, I know it, it happened, but USC just it won't ever happen again. I just I don't think Lincoln Riley has that type of Pete Carroll hubris where he's going to say, you know what, Caleb, you're not getting the job done today. You've got a broken finger on your hand. I'm going to put in Miller Moss. 
um, USC will be just fine in this game. Eric? They touched on it already. Don't let David Bailey touch Caleb Williams. That's right. it. Don't don't let him don't let him hit him. Don't let him touch him. Don't let him near him. And it, and it is going to be a tet, right? It's it's your tight ends. It's your tackles. It's your backs. It's that communication. It's all of that stuff. This is the first uh, kind of big pass rushing test. I think that they're going to get um, this year. San Jose State had lost a couple of of really good pass rushers from last year, so didn't bring those guys in. Nevada didn't really have that. This is that first test. I'm also still kind of curious, and it's not – I don't think it's anything that has to go one way or the other, but we did talk about a lot in the offseason what the wide receiver group looks like in terms of who ends up with the most receptions, most targets, receiving yards, all of that stuff. Is there – is there a number one guy through two games? It sure feels like, nope, send seven, eight of them out there and Caleb will throw it to the guy that's open. Does that keep going? Does that work in tight spots? That kind of stuff. It seems to be fine. Caleb Williams is the kind of quarterback where you can send him out there with six reads and he'll be okay to, to run it or pass it and then find the right receiver. There aren't a lot of quarterbacks that you have to do that with. And I think that's why you end up with one or two guys getting so many targets because it's just easier. Hey, read this combination, read this side of the field, go there. Caleb Williams is just fine kind of spreading it all over the place. But again, when when you step up and Stanford still technically has Pac-12 athletes. I mean, they, they lost a ton, a ton of experience and talent through the transfer portal this offseason, but there's guys back there that can play. So it's, it's again, kind of a, a test for that secondary for them, for how, how your receivers stack up against them. I'm, I'm also with Chris, push them around, right? I mean, how many, how many years in a row did USC fans have to watch Stanford's defensive line and, and offensive line for that matter too? Stanford's big guys come in and kind of do whatever they wanted to USC. Here's, Maybe a little a little payback on the way out that uh, that USC can have, but ultimately it's keep keep Caleb Williams from having to pick himself up off the ground and do that as many weeks as you can. Well, I have a great deal of respect for David Bailey. If David Bailey had signed with USC, he'd be starting right now, no question about it in my mind. But that being said, David Bailey is going to have a tremendous challenge to to try to get to Caleb Williams. Uh, You know, (laughs) Lincoln Riley will do everything to get David Bailey's head spinning. Screens, maybe draws. uh, You know, Caleb's going to maybe, you know, on the option, he might pull out the option on this one. Uh, David Bailey will not know whether he's coming or going on some place. Now, maybe... Uh, by uh, it happens, Caleb turns the wrong way, and Bailey's there at the right place and right time. But David Bailey is one player as good as he is, and he is good. Uh, I don't think he's going to be a major problem for USC, in my opinion. Uh, I think Stanford players, here's what I do know Stanford players do not quit by and large, they're highly motivated when you talk to them, interview them, watch them play. Uh, even if they're down, they rarely quit. I've seen them quit, but not very often. And they will keep coming and keep coming, keep coming. I'm interested to see what kind of a, a 
game plan defensively Stanford tries to do against, I, I don't think you can take anyone away from USC. One of the key questions here, I'm going to throw this one out at you guys. Um, who's going to start at tailback for USC this week? Chris? Well, I think we know who should start. No, who's going to start? Marshawn's going to start. I could probably agree with you on this. Yeah, Marshawn's going to start because because he Austin Jones is a really good football player, and I'm not denigrating him at all. He's a good football player, and he's going to see some carries against his old team. But you start the best guy, and he's not the best guy. Mark? Yeah, I'm not going to argue about it. I mean, you you want Austin to, to to start because for sentimental reasons he's going up against his old team. But if you're putting the best guy on the field, and if that's the you know the team philosophy, why why bend that just to you know get that gratuitous start if you're not going to play the second play of the game? It is it, it doesn't make a difference. Who's on the field when it matters? That's what matters in the game. Starting, yeah, it's you get to wear that badge of honor, but that's about it. Eric. They're both going to start. They're going to they're going to come out in a two back set. You know, the that, they're going to run the wildcat ninety percent of the time. Yeah, <laughs> Caleb Caleb's going to start on the uh, on the bench for this the one. That will say Austin Jones or Marshawn Lloyd or Darwin Barlow. I th- I Caleb think Williams is going to play in the secondary because they want to shut down those long passes. And you know what? If you stuck him back there, he probably would. <laughs> I honestly, it wouldn't surprise me if Austin Jones started a big chunk of the games this year, but you also, I mean, Marshawn Lloyd announced himself right. And in, in that game and, and showed kind of everything that he, everything he can do. And so it'll be, it'll be interesting to see if USC wants to come out with that, or if you want to kind of hit him a little bit with Austin Jones um, to start, but I'm, I'm going with, I'm going with two back set on the, uh, on the first play. And you know what? I, I'm going to go along with you on that one, Eric. I, I can see where they would get with a two back set. You don't you don't put Austin Jones going. I lost my starting position. He's starting. You make two players happy, at least in this game, and you go from there. So let's flip the the, the switch here. Panel. Conversely, what will you be looking for defensively by the men of Troy against a Cardinal offense that when I watched them against Hawaii, uh, they keep coming. They're they're not going to be able to slow it down. So let, let's start off that with Chris. What do you think? Well, number one, you want the uh, you want the front six to to control the line of scrimmage, right? They they really should be. Stanford is not. Stanford is probably better offensively than defensively this year, probably. But it's not like Stanford's good offensively. They're not. Their their performance against Hawaii was fine uh, against a pretty pedestrian Hawaii team. They're just okay. Uh, USC should be able to dominate them. So I want to see, I want to see the, the, I want to see the front six control the line of scrimmage. We need to see that every week. And, and there've been far too many times, including most of last year, where that didn't happen. Uh, Second, Stanford does have something that was kryptonite for USC last year. And that's a big tight end that can catch the ball, including who can get downfield. So that's going to be a test, and it's going to be interesting to see what they do with that. Uh, I, I don't want to see him have 12 catches for 158 yards and two touchdowns. Even if they win the game decisively, if I see that, I'm going to be unhappy because that was a problem last year. And he's a good and he's a good player. So they're going to have to deal with Urasek. Um, 
and then uh, and then they just need to they need to to stop giving up the big play. Um, it's going to be difficult, I think, for even good offenses to drive the length of the field 10, 11, 12 play drives against them because they have too many good players who can make a play. And uh, and so I want to see them I want to see them uh, knock off that big play. And if that means that they have to play a little more conservatively, conservatively on defense, then maybe they should do that. Uh, but those are the three things I'm looking for. Mark. Yeah. Stop the run. Make them beat you with a pass and continue to button up your deficiencies. Don't give up. Well, you're going to give up a big play. It's, it just happens in the game, but you don't want to see it consistently happen at the beginning of the game. So let's save it for the end of the game. Um, the, again, the, the, this is the first conference game against Stanford. You, you want to start your conference slate of games looking like you're ready to play your conference slate of games. So st- continue to stop the running game continue to get the pressure from I didn't even mention Solomon Bird's name but you know if he doesn't have the stats under his name he's still he's being really disruptive he's caught you know he, he's caving in the line just pushing his guy back into the backfield continue to do that across the board let your linebackers make plays and USC's going to be just fine against Stanford they're they're learning a new offense they're not the same old round and pound you know we're going to eat up clock yada yada they actually they run more of a, an up tempo offense. So if they are not efficient on offense and USC just gets you know gets the occasional stop every other series and they're forcing them into field goals and punts, uh, that USC's defense is doing their job because I think we all anticipate when USC touches the ball on that side of on offensively, they're going to score touchdowns. I don't know if Stanford has the guys to to match up across the board with every type of receiver that USC can throw out there. And again, we saw what, what Marshawn Lloyd brings to the table. Not only does he block downfield, he blocks in the backfield, but he can also catch the ball downfield. So, um, yeah, as long as USC's defense doesn't do anything stupid, they'll be just fine in this game. Eric. Yeah, communication. Right, Stanford, and and it'll be interesting if they do it, but they want to go fast now. This is not your Stanford huddle up, seven offensive linemen, all of that. They they want to go with this offense now. They want to go fast. Uh, can USC get lined up? Can they figure that out? Are there are there busted coverages or assignments just because they're not fast enough? Right, they're they're not getting them in. They're not communicating well enough. This is a test for that because they've got again. Oh, you know, I know all we want to talk about is kind of games coming down the road, but these are that that's how this schedule's set up, right? You want to get enough out of these games to show that you can do it at uh, against the bigger opponents. There there's going to be teams down there that can go fast fast. And so if that's what Stanford does, again, there's always a chance that you come in against USC and you want as few plays as possible, so you try to milk clock and all of that. But against Hawaii, it's it's up tempo and it's going that will will test him the big wide receiver the big tight end and then the quarterback that runs i mean a ton of designed runs from the quarterback again interesting does stanford let their quarterback run into what should be a pretty good strong tackling usc defensive front six do you want to have him running that 12 times uh in a game be interesting to see how that works out uh so so that's it, right? Busted coverages, getting 
plays in getting set up, doing assignments, all of that sort of stuff is, is where you're looking at here, because I think that that's how Stanford scores. I mean, if, if they're going to score, it's going to be quick setup. Here's something that they haven't seen hit kind of, you know, not a trick play, but something that, that has some eye candy in it and, and gets USC out of its responsibilities. I know it's just one gauge, but it doesn't look like Stanford's getting a lot of respect. I mean, what's the point spread on this game? It's not that much less than what San Jose State came in. So, And I thought, I mean, Texas Tech lost to Wyoming, and I think is like Oregon's like a seven-point favorite, and USC is 28, I think, was, was what I saw for this one. 29. It's a big number. That's a big number. Big Red Raiders fan this week. Big. I, I'm uh, I'm fascinated by what we're going to see from a X's and O's standpoint. I think we're going to learn a lot about, first of all, Troy Taylor is a really good offensive coach. Uh, he calls his own plays. Uh, and he's going to try to show us and the rest of the Pac-12 uh, just where they think the weaknesses are. I don't think he's going to change in ball control and keep the ball away. I think his mind is uh, is to go, 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 go. But I want to see where he thinks that uh, SC is really vulnerable. And uh, I think it will be a good learning lesson. I don't think they could keep up with SC. But I think from the early get-go, we're going to see how Stanford uh, attacks. I mean, there's questions in my mind about the SC corners. I'll make no bones about it. Uh, we'll see how Stanford goes about that. We're going to find, I tell you what, uh, with the tight end that Stanford has, uh, better get used to that one because SC is going to face another one if he's healthy in, in, in Keithy for Utah. And so uh, all eyes will be on that. So th it's going to be, I think, an interesting uh, uh, chess match, shall we say, uh, in that one. And a reminder to USC football fans, following the conclusion of each USC home and away game, we RSC brings you an immediate analysis and response from the game site on YouTube and other various platforms entitled Five Things. We RSC Editor-in-Chief Eric McKinney and columnist Mark Culkin and Greg Katz answer and discuss five important in-depth questions to the just-concluded game. Five things, of course, will uh, follow. Uh, the Stanford-USC game, uh, as soon as we get our uh, stuff in from the locker room quotes and stuff, we'll go right into the press box and find a room and uh, try to get this out to you. So, again, that's right after the game. Uh, give us maybe uh, 30, 40 minutes, and uh, we'll get something up for you. All right, let's move to halftime. Stanford memories. Panel, this is the last time the Trojans Stanford will meet as members of the Pac-12 Conference. What are a few memories you have of this long-standing private school rivalry? Let's start off with Eric. Honestly, you don't want to start with me. The first two that come to mind are are both losses. It's it's the 2007 the what's your deal loss and then it the 2011 game, right? It's not how it ended, but that 2011 game being at the Coliseum when Nikel Roby intercepts that pass and takes it back, it's still one of the loudest times that I have heard the Coliseum. That was a fantastic game, just kind of a great experience to be at. The, 
you you I hope you guys pick wins. But honestly, when when I saw this and the first those are the those are the first two. Those are the first two that come to mind for me. Chris, I'm going to talk about a win, but I'm with I'm with Eric. When you say U.S. USC has beaten Stanford a lot more than Stanford has beaten USC since I've been watching this game. That being said, the ones that really jump out to me were the gut punch games. I mean, the 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 what's your deal game was big because it's the first time you'd seen USC really get physically dominated like that in, in Pete Carroll's tenure. Um, but that that wasn't even the worst Pete Carroll loss to them. We're not going to talk about the other one. Uh, just the horrific, the horrific loss uh, when you're a 40 point favorite. That was tough. He's right that the the 2011 game that the triple overtime game was amazing. Uh, but I'm going to go with um, uh, I'm going to go with with Ed Orgeron's big win against uh, against Stanford with the last second field goal. Uh, one of the gutsiest defensive performance you'll ever see. I mean, he had, I think he played 13 guys on defense. So everybody was on the field all game. And they just did an, an amazing job stopping a really good Stanford team and getting a huge win for, for O. Um, that was, a you know, a, the, the, the fans rushed the field. That was a, that was a great night to be a USC football fan. And, and I'll remember that game for a long time. And Chris is right. I I combined the seven and nine games when I said that the the two thousand seven one is the one that that jumps out the the forty one point game. Mark, yeah, you know what? The reason why we always focus on the the losses to Stanford is because USC is not supposed to lose to Stanford, and you know Chris does he described it perfectly. They're gut punch losses. Um, you can t- we can go as we can go back to the to the Paul Hackett days when, you know, you bring in a quarterback off the bench and throws a Hail Mary at the end of the game to beat USC. It's like, it's not supposed to happen, but that type Chris, of stuff. Chris Lewis, right? That was Chris Lewis, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, those types of things, they just happen to get Stanford for some reason. And when it happens against a program where their fans don't even care about their team, um, it, that's what makes it suck so much. So I will give Clay Helton some credit. He beat Stanford in the conference championship game. That stood out. Um, in fact, he was that was the last time USC won the conference championship. So let's take that win and uh, say goodbye to Stanford as Pac-12 members. And by the way, that five things will be a true Pac-12 after dark. We'll call it Pac-12 into the dark, <laughs> I guess. Because it will be in the dark. <laughs> 7.30 p.m. kickoffs. We know when those games end. Yep. Uh, you know, it goes back a long ways with me, of course, because I'm, I'm an old guy. Uh, but during the 60s, John McKay, legendary Trojan, he hated Stanford. He made no bones about it. There was no off the record. He said I, I could beat them by something like a thousand points. Uh, and he meant it. Uh, and I can remember uh, as a kid running onto the field uh, when Ron Ayala kicked a field goal, uh, I think it was 1969, 68, 69, I think it was 69, uh, to to uh, to beat Stanford. Uh, that was a great memory. And when I got on the field, I could see how excited McKay was and how angry uh, John Ralston, the head coach at Stanford, was. Uh, you know, I, I when I think of Stanford, I, I think of the great quarterbacks, you know, the upset, the John Elway, uh, you know, 
uh, performances, the, the upset of SC uh, when Robinson had a great team in in the in the seventies eighties uh, situation, um, but I think what I'll miss is going to Stanford and just the overall environment of being quote on the farm. I could never figure out why they kept calling it the farm. It doesn't look like a farm. And then I read some background information. You know, Stanford also represented the the Bay Area Weekender. There's a lot of things that that go on to it on and off the field. And uh, you know what? I I've always appreciated Stanford's uh, football teams, going back to the Thunder Chickens uh, of Pete Lazicich and uh, you know Don Bunce and obviously Jim Plunkett. Uh, just just a great history of games between USC and Stanford. And yes, it did hurt to lose to Stanford. So um, let's kind of change gears here and wrap up halftime with panel. What are your thoughts on Stanford heading? to the uh, Atlantic Coast Conference, a.k.a. ACC, in 2024. Eric? I don't have – I mean, spending – for me, spending a bunch of time on some of these immediate uh, changes of conference, it's it's like buying really expensive shoes for your five-year-old, right? They're going to grow out of them in three months anyway. I just – tell me – Tell me when it's done. Tell me when realignment is finished and what it looks like kind of going forward. I just they're they're gonna play different teams. It does it it just doesn't it doesn't matter to me. I hope that these teams I hope at the end of this there are enough teams left that are playing college football at all kind of the, the same level to get enough teams to have say four conferences six conferences, whatever it is, with enough teams to have the playoff and all of that stuff. How they get there, who they play during the regular season, now it stopped it stopped mattering. It you it used to matter. It was fun, right? If if the Pac 12, Pac 10, whatever iteration of that could have stayed together, it it would be fun to play those teams that USC fans have you know watched forever and USC has played forever. Once USC went to the Big Ten shake it up kind of how, however you want, you know, I, I hope that Stanford keeps playing football. The fact that they're going to play Duke and North Carolina state and whatever it it's, it's what it is now. Chris. I think it's about time It all Stanford in the ACC always made sense to me. And I've been wondering for years why we couldn't make that happen. Um, Stan, can you? I mean, can you imagine the the Stanford Wake Forest rivalry? Um, look, it's silly, but it, what strikes me about it is it seems like a missed opportunity for the Big Ten. I understand that Stanford wasn't going to bring a substantial amount of revenues to the Big Ten, but Stanford's going to the ACC for what I think amounts to like ten Hardy's gift certificates. I mean, there's no. If you look at the deal they got, they got next to nothing. It's just Stanford looked at it and said, we already have lots of money. We don't want to get stuck in a second tier conference. So whatever, whatever first tier conference will take us, we'll go and they don't have to pay us anything. Um, if that's what, if that's the way Stanford was bargaining, the big 10 should have said, come on in, we'll give you $3 million a year and, uh, and, and you can play here instead. And so I'm a little bit surprised the big 10 didn't just do that. Um, but in any event, 
I don't care what happens to Stanford football. Stanford football isn't very interesting to me. Um, I, I'm glad that I'm glad that programs that usually try to pull out the, you know, we 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 keep we keep athletics in their place. It's really about academics and and scholar athletes and the rest is going to drag their women's lacrosse team all the way to the East Coast for games because. Because that means there's one less program that can try to lie to us and pretend like uh, like like money matters, uh, like anything matters as much as money. It doesn't, including for Stanford. And Stanford isn't even getting very much money. They're dragging they're dragging field hockey to the uh, to the East Coast for like a dollar twenty seven. It's just it's just silly at this point. Mark, well, you know what's even sadder is. SMU is getting 10 less of those hardy gift certificates. They're going for free for nine years. I mean, zero money, zero gift certificates. Look, I, I could really not care any less. Um, if Stanford is looking for a culture shock, I don't know how many of you have been to, to Clemson, South Carolina. That's a different place. And it's completely different than Palo Alto, California. So Watching Clemson and Stanford play football or, or Stanford travel down to Tallahassee to play football, uh, Miami, they're they're actually stepping up the competition. So we'll see if they want to take sports more seriously now. Uh, they certainly have the endowment to do it. Surprised, you know, Stanford and Cal didn't join the Ivy League because that's probably where they're going to end up. I, I think what Eric touched on at the very beginning is this is just a Band-Aid. Eventually, you know, it's not, we're not going to look at it as who's playing in which conference. It's, this is the pool of teams that these 64, you know, power five teams are going to schedule each other against. And we're going to pick 12, the 12 best teams out of here for the playoffs at the end of the season. That's what this is all about. There is no more college tradition. Well, I, I, I think Mark, unfortunately you're right because, but college football has been based on tradition uniforms fight songs everything i i am unhappy the way it's all turned out it's for another discussion another time but to think that you have a stanford basically uh close to the pacific ocean is going to go all the way across country to play a teams on the atlantic ocean side uh it, it's pathetic i mean i'm I, I i i love regionalism i like the west versus the east or the west versus the midwest south you know southeast and this i mean stanford's only do they were left out in the cold they had no really real choice uh but it, it's disheartening to me I, I i assume people growing up in this new environment will just say what's the big deal but uh i think it's a, a, a sad day for all these people that try to talk about as chris pointed out you know academics and it's all it's so important and yada 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 Stop it. It's all about money. It's always been about money. Uh, you know, Stanford and Cal had to do to stay it to stay above water. Uh, but uh I, I I wish it wasn't that way. So let's move on here. For those of you viewing inside the Trojan Huddle, we strongly encourage you watching inside the Trojan Huddle on sites like YouTube. Click the like and red subscriber buttons. It's greatly valued, appreciated. It's free. You can also listen to Inside the Trojan Huddle on many available podcast sites. And be sure to check out WeRSC.com and become a premium subscriber. Third quarter, let's go to the lightning round predictions. Folks, in honor of USC going to the Big Ten in 2024, 
We kick off the third quarter of Inside the Trojan Huddle with our Big Ten Lightning Round panel. Answer the following statements with a brief comment if required. Uh, we will go in this order, Mark, Eric, Chris, and Greg. All right, question one, yes or no. On Saturday night for the Stanford-USC game, there will be an announced crowd of 70,000 fans or greater in the Coliseum. Mark Culkin, yes or no? So the correct way of phrasing this question, Greg, is there will be 70,000 tickets out for this game. That, that's <laughs> And no is your answer. The no is the answer. Eric? Yeah, I'm also going to use my 30-second extension on this one, too. <laughs> Lincoln Riley was very pointed after the last game. He wants fans in the Coliseum. He is doing it with a smile and a, hey, come on, here we go. Uh, you can sense a growing frustration. This is a this is a program where all the fans say, oh, when they win, USC fans showed up. Guess what? They've been ranked in the top, what, 10, 12 for every game of Lincoln Riley's USC tenure. They've won every home game that Lincoln Riley has been here. And they are getting lucky to get maybe 60,000 fans. So the 77,500 of you that watch this program religiously, make really? sure that you get, get there on Saturday because Lincoln, he's, he's not calling them out, but certainly sending out a message. Hey, let's, let's get there. Let's make this the place that he certainly said it could be during his introductory press conference. After all of that, no, less than 70,000 on Saturday. Ouch. Chris? I'm going to say yes. I think there will be a decent crowd for the last USC-Stanford game. I think I think people are going to show up for that. Um, it's not going to be hot. Uh, everybody knows they're going to see something exciting on the field. I'm going to go yes. I'm going to say 70,002. For a 7.30 p.m. kickoff. All right, gotcha. Yep, it would be 70,006 if it was a little bit earlier. I'm going to uh, look at the uh, glass half full. I say there will be 70,000 announced. Announced. It is going to be a warm day, by the way. 7.30 kickoff. That's not a good thing for a lot of the senior USC fans. The game will be on television. Although, uh, you know, some people uh, will say, I got I to gotta be there. I got to be there. All right, question two. Yes or no, the Trojans will have at least 500 total offensive yards against Stanford. Mark? Uh, yes. Eric? Yeah, I'm, not, I'm not using my extension for this one. Yes. Thank you, Eric. Uh, Chris? I'd be stunned if they didn't. Okay. Uh, yes is the answer. Uh, question three, yes or no, Stanford's offense will have under 400 yards in total offense against the Trojans' defense. Mark? Yes. Wow. Eric? Yes. Chris? No, I think slightly more, especially because they're going to get some uh, some plays in garbage time. I agree with Chris. It's going to be more. Uh, so, yes. Uh, yeah. Question four, yes or no? Stanford will throw for at least 275 yards passing against the Trojans. Mark? No. In fact, we get three interceptions in this game. Eric? No. Chris? I think yes. Two, 284. I say yes as well. Chris, are you watching uh, The Price is Right right now? What's that? Watching The Price is Right right now. <laughs> That's right. 
Question five. That's why we call it the, the lightning round here. Yes or no, looking ahead, Colorado is a bigger threat to the Trojans than originally thought. Mark. Okay, sure. Eric? Yeah. Chris? No question. I expected them to be absolute garbage, but they have at least three guys that are really good. So I don't think they're a real threat, but they have some guys that will make plays, and, and they'll make it interesting. I say yes. Question six, yes or no, with Colorado's big upset win at TCU, do you feel that Dion's team is a major threat to USC when the teams meet in Boulder at the end of the month? Mark? Uh, no. Depth is going to be their undoing. They look great when their starters are on the field. Eric? Agreed. Chris? I hope I get to answer this question at least one more time after this. Uh, no. USC is going to roll Colorado, but Colorado has some athletes that will make plays. All right. I agree. Question seven. Yes or no, the Trojans tight ends will have 75 yards on offense against Stanford. Mark? My note says 35 yards. What's the argument? Did I say 75? I meant 35. I stand corrected. Uh, yes, they will. Okay. Eric? No. Chris? 35, yes. 75, no. Okay, I, I say no. Uh, question eight, yes or no. Against Stanford, Caleb Williams will have at least 400 yards combined total offense, passing, and running. Mark? He won't play the whole game. Yes or no? No. Eric? No. Chris? I also think no. Okay, and I say no. Question nine, yes or no, the Stanford band will have one lasting special performance regarding the last appearance of the Coliseum as members of the Pac-12 conference, and it'll be pointed at USC. Mark? If there are not suspended, yes. <laughs> Eric? Yeah, I need you to define lasting, special, <laughs> and performance for, for me to answer this. It's just a yes or no question, Eric. No, then no. For me, no. Hey, Chris. I'm going to take my time on this one because I didn't use it on the others. I hate the Stanford band. I hate them. They're an embarrassment. They go out looking like crap. They play like crap. They act like idiots. They're an embarrassment. And I don't understand why anybody would look at the Stanford band and think that this is something that we should celebrate or emulate. I think they should be disbanded before the game Saturday. Uh, that tree should be cut down and burned on the field. I hate them. I hate them. It will not be lasting. It will not be special. It will be a performance. It will be an embarrassing performance. I don't know what. I don't know whether that leads to a yes or no. I think it means no. Okay. I say yes. All right. Question ten. Yes or no? Washington State and Oregon State will be in the Mountain West Conference in two thousand twenty-four. Mark. Yeah. Eric? Yeah, I think so. Chris? Yeah, and that's probably where they belong. And I agree, yes. And now the bonus question, the big one. Uh, fill in the blank, guys. The best hamburger in Southern California is what, Mark? So there's two. I, I asked for one. Well, it depends <laughs> on the mood you're in. You want Tommy's where you're after a game? Or if you want really the best burger, and this is probably a, a little 
NIL uh, publicity for Malachi Nelson, head on over to Slab Barbecue on 3rd Street in L.A. I'm telling you, that half-pound brisket burger is amazing. Amazing. All right, Eric, what is it? Where's it's the, the one, one I make. I'm sorry? It's the one I make. Oh. Where is that located? <laughs> That's the answer. <laughs> do, you, do you grill that thing, McKinney? Uh, how do you how do you cook yeah. that? Is that can you get one frozen or what? <laughs> no, no, you make it. So in other words, you don't. I'll have... do it. We'll we'll do it one time. You throw a little, uh, you know, the the soyaki sauce, the soy sauce teriyaki sauce. Put that in it, and it's good. It's good. I can see the cars lining up for the drive through by Eric's house, uh, right. Chris. It's a meatloaf. Um, what are you he's cooking? Uh, I'm also going with McKinney's burger. There you go. All right, I'm I'm going to be the traditionalist here. I'm saying uh, I'm still like in and out. Uh, I don't know. I I don't like Whataburger or whatever it is they call it. Uh, if there's one out here, I it's still in and out for me. So with that in mind, let's uh, cruise right in here to the uh, traditional lighting of the WRSC. Coliseum ceremonial torch. Is it still lighting? Okay, there we go. Uh, again, as most of you know, the tradition at USC home football games between the third and fourth quarter, they light up the Olympic torch in the peristyle end. Now, uh, a reminder to all you recruitaholics, uh, don't forget to watch WeRSC.com weekly recruiting show, Recruiting Roundup with nationally respected Scott Schrader, the best in the business, and host Dylan Brazier as well as Friday's new Four Down show with Eric McKenney and Greg Katz previewing the latest info on USC's next opponent. Here we go. Fourth quarter, time for some brief predictions. We ask you to predict the winner from selected ranked Pac-12 teams and a national game of significance. This Saturday, number 14, uh, Utah at Baylor, 9 a.m. ESPN. Utah is favored by five and a half points. Chris, who's winning? Is it really five and a half points? That's against correct. a team that got that got destroyed on their home field by Texas State, that doesn't make any sense. Utah is dramatically better than Baylor. And by the way, all you USC fans that were clamoring from Dave Aranda two years ago, that doesn't look so smart now. I mean, his last last season and the start uh, and the start of the season this year make makes Aranda look like a heck of a defensive coordinator somewhere next year. Mark. Yeah, I I saw that score too, and I was like, oh, okay. I, I think Utah on the road, and there's still some unsureness about who is going to be starting a quarterback. Utah's going to win. I think it'll be. I, I think Baylor covers, though. Doesn't mean Dave Aranda's job is safe, but I think they cover. Eric. Yeah, Utah in that one. I can we. How much attention is there on the on the SEC start to the season, right? Florida looking the way they did, and and maybe Florida State is really good, but LSU lost that game pretty handily, and then South Carolina's lost too. Like that's those are the games that the Pac-12 typically lost going into seasons, and then the conference was just written off day one. Be interesting to see kind of how this early stuff plays between the Pac-12 and and the SEC because the Pac-12, I think I read that it's first conference in like 40 years to go undefeated through through a full week first conference ever to go 13 and 0 all right i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm picking utah all right uh this is a no-brainer one tulsa number 10 washington 2 p.m uh 
uh, Pacific time, of course, Pac-12 network. Washington is favored by 30 and a half points. Do I have a unanimous agreement that Washington's going to win? Very good. Uh, number 15, Oregon at Texas Tech, 4 p.m. Uh, Pacific on Fox. Oregon is favored by seven points. Chris. Again, a spread that makes no sense. Oregon's going to roll over Texas Tech as much as I don't want them to. Mark? Um, yeah, they're going to win. Look, apparently Oregon needed to prove a point that they were good offensively by putting up 81 points with their starters against Portland State. So they're probably looking to send a message against a real team this week. Eric? Yeah, Oregon by a million. Uh I'm obviously going to take Oregon. I don't know if they'll quite reach a million, perhaps a half a million. Stanford at number six, USC, 3.30, or excuse me, 7.30 p.m. Pac-12 Network. Uh, SC is favored by 29 points. Uh, do I have unanimous agreement on this? I thought the game was on ESPN. It's uh, on, the game's on Fox this week, 7.30. Correction, Fox. Um, uh, are, are we all in agreement on this one? USC wins and probably covers. I think so, too. Okay, okay. Uh, all right, uh, our national game of the week, number 11, Texas at number four, Alabama, 4 p.m. Uh, Pacific. ESPN, Alabama is favored by seven and a half points. What's going to happen, Chris? So I rarely root for Texas, especially because there's so many Texas fans around me. I'd like to see Texas beat Alabama. I don't think it's going to happen. I do not trust Steve Sarkeesian to go in and have a team that plays tough, disciplined football in, in circumstances like this. I don't think he's a real head coach. I don't think he's up to it. Uh, I think Nick Saban embarrasses him. Mark? Yeah, you know, I, I'm, I'm on the same page with Chris, but I'm not sure I'm on the same page with Alabama's quarterback. I, I think Alabama wins at home. Eric? Yeah, two things with that, right? Either either that quarterback situation is kind of disappointing to Nick Saban and, and he really doesn't like what's going on, or he knows what he's going to do and they're just he, – he knew this game was second and he's going to roll something out and, and they're going to just blow Texas out. So uh, I'm, I'm a little bit with Chris on that. I, I'm just not going to trust Sark to take his team in to something like this and, and win. All right, I'm, I'm picking Bama. Overtime. Viewer questions, panel answers. All right, here they come. Uh, a panel, question one from Troy78. After a limited sample of two games, could you please rank the top five true freshman players so far? I do not have Tackett Curtis in my top five. Any volunteers? Uh, no, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna rank the top five. I'll let somebody else do that if they want. But I will say, I think it's a little bit unfair uh, to say Tackett Curtis is in the top five. He is one of the five best freshmen on this team. He is playing a much more difficult position for a freshman to step in and play well at. It's it's easy to step in as a freshman and play wide receiver. It's actually not that hard to be a freshman and come off the edge and rush the passer. Um, but playing linebacker, especially when you haven't really played linebacker before. It's very difficult. It takes time. Uh, Tacky Curtis is one of the top five freshmen on the team, and he's going to be an All-American. Um, but Elijah Hughes is in there, too, for the same reason. Not a ton of snaps, but he's absolutely – I mean, what he's done with yep. those snaps, Zechariah Branch obviously is one of those guys. 
And then I is that three? I think Quentin Joyner and Braylon Shelby are are probably my top five. And we're oh sorry, we yeah we had Tackett right, Tackett Hughes, Quentin Joyner, Zachariah Branch, and Braylon Shelby as a top five. And that doesn't include Deuce Robinson. That doesn't include Christian Pierce. That doesn't include Alani Noah. That doesn't. I mean, it's yeah. Yeah, that that 2023 class is uh, is something else. And and, and none of it's going to include Malachi Nelson, who was the number two player in the class and potentially great. Right. I mean, potentially the best guy in the whole thing. But you're not going to find out for a little bit. Top rated guy has to sit on the bench right now. I'm with Eric with uh, with it, with those picks. I thought they were that's that's a pretty fair assessment. Uh, question two from Trojans in the Valley. Colorado had perhaps the most impressive win in the Pac-12 this weekend. In your opinions, are they now the biggest threat to SC? How much of an impact will the injury to Gino Quinones be for the offense if it turns out to be that he's done for the season? I'll I'll just uh, skip into this one. Well, that, should we let Chris do the first part of that? Chris wanted to. Chris wanted yeah, to I go. Wanted, I want to. I did want to talk about Colorado a little bit more, if I can. I think USC wins at Colorado. Go ahead, Greg. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, no, I, I think that they're a much bigger threat than I thought they'd be. Uh, it's if if Nebraska loses to um, Colorado this week, I can just only imagine how crazy Folsom Field will be if Colorado is actually undefeated when they play SC. Uh, I do think that the that that is going to be impactful with Gino Quinones. Probably not as much this year as it would have been last year, but it's still impactful because you don't want to lose people this early in the season if you ever lose people. Any other if comments? If Gino's out for an extended period, that that's huge. I mean, I, I think that he was he's right there with Mason Murphy as that like number six, seven guy. But honestly, if he kept improving, there's nothing that said he wouldn't have been a starter. He might be like a, a number three, number four player on that offensive line in terms of injury impact because he was your number two left guard, number two center, and your number two right guard if he wasn't a starter at one of those spots. I mean, if, again, there, there's, I think I've said if about nine times, but if he's out for an extended period, and especially those games late, that that's a significant would be a significant hit. Like you probably said after the game, kind of fingers crossed on him and they didn't have anything, um, you know, right away after the game on, on an injury, which you hope you always hope that the initial thing is, no, we're fine. You know, it's, it's going to be okay. Uh, but, but definitely something to keep an eye on. The, the starting unit's still fine, but, but that's right. Because you, you, you can't afford to lose too many more interior guys at this point. And, uh, and obviously, without an MRI, you can't know. But man, it certainly looked like an ACL, right? I mean, it just looked like it. So hopefully, that's not the case. Let, let's let's keep our fingers crossed on him. Uh, from Romy, can we expect more of the Williams to Singer highlights? Who is the go-to receiver at this point? They don't have one. We talked about it earlier in the show, and they don't need one. When you can spread the ball around like that. Who cares if everybody gets four or five receptions per game? Everyone's going to get at least one highlight catch per game. So, you know, yeah. you might need a, a number one in a crunch time situation, but how many of those situations is USC going to be in this, this year offensively? Too by the way, the answer, of course, is yes, because 
Caleb Williams is a is a human highlight machine, and so is Singer, right? We saw it last year, and that guy will make crazy circus catches. So yeah, you're you're definitely going to see a lot more of those. I think the bottom line to it is that to defend USC's receivers, you really can't double up on anybody, and if you do, you're going to pay the price big time. Uh, it I I don't know if they need a go to receiver. It's really I think. A question of do these receivers, are they all in as team guys? So if they only catch three balls instead of six balls, can they be happy with that as long as the team wins? As long as they keep a team attitude, I I, I don't think it's going to be a problem. Um, question four from Gupo and Palanka. What's the story dash plan with the Marion Peterson redshirt? Also, I agree with Mark about the band being drowned out by the DJ and other effects. How does the panel feel about the in-game experience? So, Mark, you mentioned your name. Would you care to give us your viewpoint on this? So, I think, you know, Marion is probably going to end up redshirting this year just because they're not going to be able to get him the touches. You've got the other guys in front of them. But, yeah, I'm not a big, huge fan of the DJ during the football games. We talk about it up in the press box during the game. You know, did the band even play? And when they're, they got commercials going on the big screen, it's over. It's, it just doesn't feel connected. It's really disjointed. Um, yeah, somehow or another, they need to get the spirit of Troy back involved in the game time atmosphere. Because right now, it's it feels like a it feels like an NFL game. It just doesn't feel like you're at a USC college football game. I think that's a good point. I, I think that um, Peterson will probably redshirt, uh, and and you know. Look, they don't have, like in the old days, you know, yell leaders, uh, the head yell leader who would get the crowd going. So I do appreciate the DJ getting the crowd going because he does get the crowd going. But uh, in terms of the band, uh, I, I think it's a criminal. The band is stuck way behind uh, the back end zone of the peristyle end. They should be stuck right there with the students where they can be heard. Uh, I think they're having a, uh, and I think they've had it for quite some time, this idea that are they a college football traditional program or are they trying to recreate the third NFL franchise in Los Angeles? Uh, you know, when you go around the country like uh, we have and you see the traditions of some of these other schools and what they do, uh, you know, SC second to none when they've got it going the right way. I would hope they would review the, quote, in-game experience. Uh, sometimes the PA system is so loud, we can't even hear in the press box half the time uh, when the press box announcer starts going over a length of drive, minutes. We, we just can't hear it. He's got to repeat it twice, and sometimes you don't even get at that either. So I'm all for a getting the crowd fired up. Okay, I it's, it's great. The DJ, for what he does, I think it does a relatively good job, but I – I think that they could make adjustments, especially with the band. Uh, question five from Scott in Gilbert, Arizona. After watching the Colorado, Washington, Utah, UCLA, and Oregon game this weekend, do you feel that our DBs are going to be able to limit our opponents' big play deep completions? Or will all these games look like the Big 12 circa 2015 when every game was 63-60 to 60 shootouts? Chris, you take the specific Colorado matchup with the uh, with the DBs, and then we'll do the rest. <laughs> Look, um, 
USC's secondary is going to get torched in some of those games. There's no question about it. But that's partly that's that I don't necessarily trust USC's secondary. But the bigger part of it is there are a whole lot of offenses in the Pac-12 that would torch that would torch everybody. Um, so it is there. There are going to be a lot of points scored in the Pac-12 this year, and and teams in the in the SEC where they have you know two or three good teams and a bunch of mediocre teams that uh, that went four and zero playing directional schools and finish in the top twenty five and think they're good. They'll point to the Pac-12 and say, "See, the Pac-12 doesn't play defense." But you know what? You line those teams up against USC, Washington, UCLA, Oregon, Colorado. And they're going to get torched defensively too. You just can't help it. Yeah, I think that you just have to accept the fact that he, this is an exceptional year from the Pac-12. Ironic because it's the last year of the Pac-12 as we know it. That uh, th- these teams in the Pac-12 are going to score big against anybody, anybody. And they and and I think that we can we will see it. I mean, what is Utah going to be when they get Cam Rising back? You know. I, if he comes back in time for, but you know, just another uh, person that you have to go with. Uh, it's going to be fat. The PAC 12 is going to be, you talk about eating its own. This is one of those years where anything could really happen. Even if you have a Caleb Williams, when you get into these, some of these other teams, they, 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 they can, they can really test your defense. And then we're going to really find out. All right, question six uh, from H or HUD in San Diego. Which Pac-12 team has the best chance of seriously slowing down our offense this season since Grinch took over as D.C. and actually for quite a while before that? I have not seen us really stop any decent offense and have consistently given up big plays around the corner and down the field. Comments? If Caleb Williams is healthy, nobody's going to slow down USC's offense. Nobody. They're going to torch. They're going to torch everybody every week. That's what's going to happen. Oregon State's not on the schedule this year. Utah is, and if Utah is supposed to have the best defense in the conference year in and year out, they have yet to show that they can stop USC healthy on offense. It took Caleb Williams going down, and that's what slowed them down in the conference championship game. Utah's defense didn't do jack squat in Salt Lake City. I don't anticipate them doing it in LA. All right. Anybody? Any other comments to that? We're good. All right. Question seven. And that's going to be our final question uh, from Big Daddy in SoCal. We have heard the coaching staff speak about how beneficial it is to have game tape on players to better evaluate their in-game performance. My question is, how much of that same game tape does CLR uh, coach uh, Riley utilize to evaluate the game day decisions and performance of his coaching staff? Furthermore, what kind of uh process does uh clr utilize in this regard having a former college and pro head coach on staff like cliff kingsbury could provide an ideal situation for educating the coaches on what vulnerabilities an opponent sees when watching game film comments lincoln riley answered this exact question i think on thursday during a zoom call what do you say he says that he doesn't give letter grades but he does look at the situations and, you know, they look back and, all right, did we do this right? Did we make the right play call? Let's not do this again. So to answer the question, long the short answer is yes, they look at film and that's how they grade themselves. 
Yeah, I think, you know, film is the way, I mean, unfortunately, Clay Helton always referred to the film, but it is true that you really don't know. I know when I watch replays, uh, maybe two or three times on SC's games that I tape, uh, I, you know, I, I can hone in on specific players, like these position coaches all go over it and over and over looking at how their position guys played, you know, each snap. And you do get a much better, obviously, feel for what, what really transpired. So, uh, you know, as I used to do it when I was when I was coaching, uh, the game film doesn't lie. If you tell somebody that they did something and they don't believe it, you run it back about four or five times and say, you still say that you uh, were guarding your man? You know, and they don't say much because it's it's video evidence. So, all right. With that, a reminder again, if you have a question or comments for our panel, go to the WeRSC members message boards, click on the thread that pertains Inside the Trojan Subtle, viewer or listener questions. Once again, if you enjoyed Inside the Trojan Subtle, please click on the like, rev subscriber buttons. We greatly appreciate your support. Be sure to check out wersc.com, become a premium subscriber. That'll do it for Tuesday's edition of Inside the Trojan Subtle. Reminder to watch five things on your YouTube shortly following Saturday night's uh, Stanford game. So until Tuesday, when we review the Stanford game, a big thank you to our panelists, Mark Culkin, Eric McKenney, Chris. Arledge, and a special thank you to all of you for watching or listening to Inside the Trojan Settle. Have yourself a great week. Beat the Cardinal. And until next Tuesday, this is your moderator, Greg Katz, reminding you all to fight on, everybody. <laughs>